Hey guys, my name is Hector, and I'm one of the pastors here on staff. I'm so glad that you guys are here today, and, uh, and I get the privilege to kind of share from um, a lot of things that, I think to be honest, some of these things are like a culmination of um, multiple years of just uh, seeing culture and seeing different things in culture and just desiring that God's unity would be able to be instilled in culture today. Um, can I tell you something though, for real, the the last few weeks of this Mindset Limitless series has been incredible, and it's really, really hard to come up after Pastor Brad, but can we give it up for Pastor Brad in the last few weeks? Has been awesome. That has been something near and dear to his heart for a while. He was talking about it. Even back, back in like May when we first met, you were talking about that series, and man, it's been incredible. And so right now we're going to jump into a new series called Breaking Glass Walls. And the idea is this. I believe that there are glass walls around you, in front of you, beside you. And what are these glass walls? There are things that are stopping us from even having relationships. Sometimes they might be things that are, that are stopping us from pushing forward. And so we're going to be talking about this uh, for the next two weeks. And so I'm excited. But I just want to start by saying this. Uh, does anybody else have a love-hate relationship with reunions in general, okay? Reunions, family reunions, okay? You can say it, it's okay. Um, maybe even like high school reunions. Have you guys been to a college reunion? And then that awkwardness of like the anxiety beforehand of like, oh, what am I gonna say when they ask that question, right? Um, I grew up in, in a very tight-knit family. And so we, uh, we always had reunions. And so it was fun. Like I had such a fun family, to be honest. Um, and we could grow up, uh, and we grew up knowing that there were some things that would go down every time that our family would get together. Uh, the first thing is, I, I'll tell you what, all my family is from El Salvador, and so we have like the best food. And so it was the best time. Uh, they would bring different foods, and, and it would be like just a buffet of it. And so I knew that it was going to be good food. I knew at some point my dad was just going to preach to everybody because I grew up a pastor's kid. And that's just to be expected. And so he just talk a lot like I do. Anyway, um, and then the last thing would be that at some point, somebody would get in an argument. Somebody at some point would get in an argument. And I remember one year we were up in San Jose, California, and everybody came over to our place. And uh, the argument that happened was actually between the cousins instead of the adults. And um, when they got into this argument... Most of the time, what, what would happen in these arguments, they start getting heated, and then you could kind of see them like happen, and you could kind of just move away. We were all in the same room. We were all young, and I could see that they both wanted to be the same hot wheel for the, the little game we were playing. Remember when those were our issues, right? Um, so they, they both wanted to be this hot wheel. They were arguing about it, and we were all just kind of you know, moving away from the argument. And finally, my cousin walks out, okay? Now, you have to understand something. Let's rewind for a second. You have to understand something about the layout of this, this house. So there's a dining room right here. This is where all the adults would congregate. Then you have a living room and a second living room. Now, my cousin went from the second living room to the first living room. The only thing between him was a glass door. But he never opened the door. <laughs> and so he walks straight through this thing and all we see is this glass shatter as he walks through this thing and uh, it looked like something out of a movie and I remember asking him and, and thankfully he just come, came out with like a minor cut it was super super um, chill but what would ha what happened afterward was what was interesting I asked him the question like 
dude, how did that even happen? And his answer was interesting, but obvious. He said, I didn't see the glass door. I just didn't see the glass door. Can I tell you that I believe, and I'm here to point out today, that there might be some glass in front of you and around you. And I want, I want to make you aware of these glass walls because they might actually be keeping you confined in a box that was never meant to be there. I want to submit to you today that maybe these glass walls weren't even made by you, but you may have allowed them to be created. What are glass walls? Well, let me, let me tell you. Um, like I said, they're, they're things that will hinder your relationships, limited your, limit your understanding, and, bury, and will create barriers in your ability to build community. Glass walls are simply this, okay? They're barriers that are built that hinder our ability to connect with each other. Now, you might ask, how do I know that this is a thing? How do I know that there are glass walls around us? Well, because I feel it. And if you were to be super honest, I think you either know somebody or you yourself are dealing with this. How do I know? Well, because out of multiple sample sizes, 52% of Americans admit to living in some kind of state of loneliness. 42% of, of people feel like no, none of their relationships are meaningful. And 58% of Americans feels like no one really knows them. What I found even more astounding was roughly half of these samples, and almost every single one of the samples, half of these samples were held by people who were married with kids. Over all ages and ranges, the demographics and everything, all of the stats are just growing and growing. So we, ha we have something. We have to establish that we have a loneliness issue. We have a loneliness issue. Now consider this, the longest running psychological study that, that has ever been made was coined the happiness study, okay? So this is the longest running psychological study we have in humanity right now. And actually, it's named the Harvard Study of Adult Development, but that's not as catchy. So, uh, so we named it the happiness study. And trust me when I tell you, there is so much data in this thing, so much. But the main conclusion is this that social fitness is the true key to a long and fulfilling life. What is social fitness? The practice of creating and fostering the relationships and interactions you have with others. Like, you would actually be amazed at the stories of people who lived way past the dates that their doctors gave them just because they had a strong sense of community and meaningful relationships. So, so this is like the markers of what healthy relationships look like, okay? Um, one would be safety and security. Another one would be things like, like you're able to learn and grow out of those relationships. And another one is this, that you feel an emotional closeness and ability to confide. So let's get this straight. We have an epidemic of, of loneliness, yet the key to life is relationships? I think we've got a problem. And so I would dare to say that the problem is this, it's, it's glass walls that are around us. It's barriers that are holding us back from these relationships. Now, Jesus during his time on earth had a few things to say about, about these barriers that are created between relationships. Because 
the way he taught us to live was, was meant to actually foster relationships, not hinder them, both with God and with other people. So there's an example I want to look at today, and it's an example in recorded history about Jesus. It's a story about Jesus, and it says it like this. It said, at that time, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, who then is the greatest in the kingdom? He called the little child to him and placed the child among them. And he said, truly I tell you, unless you change and become like children, like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever takes the lowly position of this child is the greatest of, the king, of, of heaven, the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. But then he says this, and whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes him. We've got to get some history down to understand that, that portion. So a little history here, okay? So when he tells them to welcome a child, what we have to understand is he's talking to an audience where children are not seen in high esteem. Why is this? Is because at the time, they would be the ones that were overlooked in society because they brought no contribution to society. If anything, they pulled resources from society without contributing. Therefore, because they were seen in society as having no value to it, then they would have no voice. No value, no voice. Here Jesus is telling us to give value to those who have no value of their own and, and who are typically overlooked. Why? Because this is what he did on his time on earth. And, and seeing the unseen has been who God is since the beginning of, of recorded history. How do we know this? Well, because there's actually another story even before Jesus about God himself, where when God was beginning a relationship with humanity, God shows us this character of himself of being the one that sees the unseen. In ancient recorded history, we find a story of a woman named Hagar. Now, you see, after a series of events that Hagar got, gets mixed up with, she she didn't ask for these situations to happen, but she ended up in it, and she, she got caught up having another man's baby because the man and his wife believed they couldn't have a baby. Now, there's so much more to say about this story. If you ever get a chance, uh, read it in, in Scripture, but here's what's interesting is when we focus on Hagar's story, she gets mixed up in this situation, right? And, and then the, man, the man's wife becomes jealous of her, treats her terribly, and she needs to run. She, just, she needs to get away from the situation. And she walks away, she runs away, and out in the middle of the desert, during this whole situation, God sees her, and he speaks to her. And after a conversation with God, Hagar says something that gives us a window into who God really is. She says this, that she gave this name to the Lord who spoke to her. You are the God who sees me. For she said, I have now seen the one who sees me. Guys, this is who God is. This is who Jesus is. He is the one who sees you. Not because of everything you're able to do or contribute, but because he loves you. And he's not moved by the things that we can do, but merely by how much he loves us. Therefore, we are not the initiators of the relationship with God, but instead the responders of a God who already sees us. And how do we respond to a God who sees? By seeing others. 
So Jesus teaches us that, that we should see those that we would tend to overlook, okay? Now, it's not a mystery that we live in a culture that's not necessarily helping us to do that. Our, our, our culture, our environments, everything around us is actually trying to do quite the opposite. It's just trying to divide us. We, we could actually look to social media. We could look at news. We could look at even our, our ongoing gatherings when we get together and tend to, to veer toward bad-mouthing people or even communities. Things like, can you believe they? Did you hear about? Oh yeah, they voted for. And this isn't to make anybody feel less than for sitting and participating in, in those environments. I'm in them too. And sometimes, I'll be honest, I participate. But why is it? It's because it's our nature. It's who we are. But let's be honest about what it's doing to us. It's slowly allowing glass walls to be built between each other. You see, this is the problem that, that we have in loneliness. We've allowed it to happen. How? By not seeing each other. Like truly seeing each other. Truly seeing the person in front of us, beyond the assumptions, beyond the, the presuppositions, beyond what we've heard on social media or the news about others or even from others about others. So how do we get to the point where, where we, we stop over, where do we get to the point where we overlook people? Well, it's by writing them off before knowing them. How do we do that? By believing whatever we assume about them. But the assumption you may hold might not be telling you the truth. A, year, a few years ago, I was, uh, I was uh, practicing mixed martial arts, and um, I know I might not look like it, but I, I swear I did. Um, and I wish I looked like Mike. I don't know where Mike is, but man, that guy looks jacked. I'm like, ugh, not there yet. Anyway, um, <laughs> but I, I remember I was... Uh, I was in jiu-jitsu, and, um, and, and we went to this class one time, and they paired me up with this girl that was three years younger than me. And, like, I hate to this, admit this now, okay? So I'm just, please don't judge me for this moment. It was like, this is old Hector. Um, but but uh, I hate to admit this now, but my assumption when they paired me up with this girl that was three years younger than me was like, uh, can I get somebody else, please? Um, I, I, I think I already got this one beat. And why? Because I was convinced that this wasn't going to be challenging for me. Like, I, I, I was good, you know? And I was like, I was coming into this going like, okay, that's, okay, that's who you're going to pair me up with. Now, for context, just so you know, because I don't know if everybody knows about jujitsu or what that, that entails. So basically it's this, okay? What you do in jujitsu is you're trying to put the other person in a position that is so painful for them that they can't continue and they tap out, Okay? And so it's so painful, they tap out. I'm not exaggerating. When I tell you, I don't remember what happened. <laughs> Guys, no, 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 no. I lost so bad. And it drove me bananas. And I was like, no, let's go for a rematch. I lost a second time, and I quit after that because your boy knows how to take an L, okay? Um, sorry, sorry, rewind. Uh, you, I know how to lose, okay? And so that's, 
I was like, no, this is, this is crazy. But this is what happens. At, at a firsthand experience, can I tell you, do not believe and do not trust all the assumptions that you hold. It will lead to a lot of pain. Um, and, um, and they will lead to overlooking people. They will lead to overlooking people who hold a lot of worth and a lot of value. And we know that these glass walls in our lives, they're, they're dividing us, right? And so we know that overlooking people based on their assumptions is one of those glass walls that's around us. And we know that Jesus teaches us not to overlook people, actually see those who would tend to be overlooked. So where do we go from here? Well, if I'm being honest, there are so many different groups that like we face every single day that probably feel overlooked, and, and, and we do overlook every single day. But today, I'm just going to focus on two, okay? I'm just going to focus on two. And I'm going to talk about one gap and two groups. One gap and two groups. Now, I would submit to you today that we tend to write off and overlook people who are outside of our generation. Now, I know this is the young guy talking, Okay? So work with me for a second, because I think this is actually an area I've cared for for a long time. And don't believe whatever assumption that you might have coming into this. Because you see, I actually believe what we've done is we've allowed assumptions about each other to give us a sense of permission to overlook each other. I mean, I can give you a few assumptions, uh, just for the record, these are not my assumptions, but I could give you some assumptions that people have had that are just simply not true about other generations. And so after much research conversation over the last couple of years, I'm about to tell you some assumptions. And I need you to remember this isn't me talking. This is research, conversations, and other people, okay? All right, all right, you ready? We're going to do both sides, okay? So older people to younger people and younger people to older people, okay? Brad, I'm nervous. Um, All right, so after a few conversations and Google searches, here are some assumptions that young people, we're going to do the other side, but young people have about older people, okay? You ready? Okay, so the first one is this. Uh, The first assumption is they think their their way is the best way. Number two they don't know how to drive, and hold on, hold on, and and three, they have very strong opinions. Now, with the same amount of conversations, Google searches, here are some assumptions that older people have about younger people. You guys ready for this one? They think their way is the best way. They don't know how to drive, and they have very strong opinions. Guys, I think we have more in common than we have different. And apparently, we're all really bad drivers, is what I'm gathering. But this is what assumptions do. This is exactly what assumptions do. They create barriers that ultimately lead to a state of loneliness because we can't connect with other people that we should be able to connect with. I mean, for younger people, it, it, it really does. It, it hinders our ability to connect with mentors, people who can, who can speak into our lives, parents that we love and cherish, grandparents that have so much to speak into us. For older people, it prevents us from connecting with the next generation. For many, it's kids. For many, it's grandkids. 
It leads us to isolation from others. And can I tell you that loneliness, and can I tell you that the loneliness this leads to is not the way that Jesus wants you to live. It's just not. Young people, can I, can I tell you something? Can I just speak to you from a young person to a young person real quick? Can I tell you that I've personally learned from mentors that are 40 and 50 years my elder? And, and I've, I've attained wisdom that takes years to gain. I mean, literally, they face situations that we only, they faced situations that we only read, read about and read about. They have been in your shoes and overcome adversities that you have yet to understand. Through my experience, I can tell you that the greatest shortcut to life and one of the only shortcuts to life is learning from someone who's already lived it. For older people, could I actually rename you the experienced people? It feels a little more honoring and appropriate. Could I tell you that I, and you might find this interesting, I actually have eight mentors in my life currently. I, I'm kind of try, trying to trick Brad to be the ninth um, and Lloyd to be the tenth, but don't tell him. Um, but two of my mentors are actually five and ten years younger than me. And why is this? Because although I have more experience than both of them in life, they have experienced life differently than I have. And I would just like to humbly submit to you that there might still be things to learn from people who have lived life differently, even if they might be younger. Can I also just ask something from a, an, a, guy, a guy that attempts to honor eldership and wisdom so deeply? Could, could I, and this is like honest from my heart, could you please if you're older, whatever you consider to be older, could you not give up on this generation? Could you not give up on like, just pouring into us, caring about us? Like, don't, don't phone it in. I'm telling you, don't phone it in. We're not a lost cause. And there is so much that we want to learn, that we need to learn. And I think this is where Something that I would even tell you that our church has done, we, we're, we're doing this push and, and part of me coming on staff was this push of like, hey, we, we want younger people. The church has to get younger. I'm telling you that's not instead of the older. That is in addition to, okay? That does not mean that anybody should be forsaken in order to see others. We can see people without forsaking others. And I'm telling you, this is something that is near and dear to my heart. We need you. I need you. I think that the most powerful community that we could ever create is people who hold the passion, innovation, and energy of the young and the depth, experience, and the wisdom of the elders. This is a powerful thing we can do together. And, and, and together, this kind of community could change everything. It could change cities. It could change nations. It could change the world, ultimately. If we could just learn to see each other. But divided, we will live ineffective and separate lives that are just separated by glass walls that are created about, around us.
What will these glass walls do? They'll, they'll continually tell you that you won't be heard. This is what, one, what glass walls will do to you. They'll make you think that the voice that you have is going to be unseen, so why even try? These glass walls will tell you that your worth and value is based on what you can contribute and put into society, and it'll tell you that that's nothing. It's just simply not true. You know what else glass walls will do? It'll isolate you from community. It'll slowly separate you from the people that you love the most. They will limit your growth and potential. Can I tell you, when you stop learning, you stop living. And you need to learn. You need to grow. And and this is what glass walls will do. They'll stop you from that. It'll take you... It'll take away your ability to input into your lives different perspectives and experiences. They will distort your view of other people and ultimately lie to you about who other people are. Glass walls become this filter in which we see each other and we believe these filters and when we believe them, we dictate who people are based on those filters, based on who we see through the glass wall instead of beyond it. So what needs to happen? Well, we need to break some glass walls. And so I've got, I've got a few steps. And can I tell you, this is not exhaustive, but this is out of, out of time and experience and, and meditation. This is what, what I came up with, which are different ways that I've been able to connect with other generations and other people have been able to connect with other generations. But can I also tell you, this list, what I like about it, is it could actually be applied to so many different groups that get overlooked. You could actually apply it so many different ways. But the first one is this, um, dismissing your assumptions of another generation. Dismissing your assumptions of another generation. Can I tell you, when you have an assumption about another generation, young people, when you think you know what a person is going to say because of what generation they come from, can I tell you, leave it at the door. Walk into that conversation and leave it at the door. Because they might surprise you. They might actually be something completely different than what you thought. And that assumption will stop you from from figuring that out. The second one is this. Ask about their story. Ask about their story. um, uh, Bria, my wife, um, had a grandfather. And um, during this, this time that he was kind of in the end of his life, I remember going down to Olympia, Washington. And every single time, I lived in Seattle at the time, so I would drive down to Olympia, Washington, and they would always ask me, what do you want to do? And I was like, I want to go sit with Pastor Earl. I just want to go sit with Pastor Earl. And they always thought, man, you really, really like this guy. I'm like, I don't know how much time this guy has, and I need to take every second. And I would just sit there, and I would just ask him about his stories. And I would hear so many stories about about what he did when he had kids, what he did when, when those kids had to get married and how hard that, that emotional uh, bit was when, when he had to pass over his wife to, to a marriage that he had to sit there and think, oh my gosh, am I going to see her again, which he was. But, you know, it's that, it's that emotion that you go through and he would just describe it to me. And then he would describe having grandchildren. And all these different things, I would just sit and listen and listen. And can I tell you, I've learned so much from, from people and just listening to their stories. I'm sure if you think about the stories that you've heard, they've actually crafted a lot of who you are today. Why not allow more? Why not allow more stories 
and find out who these people are. Another one is this. Read a book of someone outside of your generation. Read a book of someone outside of your generation. This one's huge. This one's extremely practical, but it's huge. If you're, if you're part of the younger generation, could I, even, could I even encourage you, this is like a side note, find somebody that is older, older than you. Maybe somebody, like I, I talked to Lloyd, and he's like, I love reading people who are dead. And I'm like, absolutely, they're super wise. I would even say, if you can find somebody from like their 90th year, their 80th year, that is gold, okay? If they wrote a book in those times of their life, can I tell you, go read that and treasure that because there is so much to gain from those years, just all those years of, of wisdom. As far as, as the older generation, I'm telling you, I know there's nothing new under the sun and you've probably read enough books that you could tell us stories about all the books that you've read, but maybe there's something out there that's just different than what you've learned from. Could I encourage you to to maybe find somebody that's in their 30s, maybe in their 40s, and just read a book from them? I think it would bring a window into, into our lives. The last thing is this, ask questions before making statements. Ask questions before making statements. Let, let me put this simply. Statements put up walls, questions build bridges. Statements put up walls, questions build bridges. Why? Because this is what, what happens with statements, is you're just, you're putting up exactly where you're at. What happens in a question is you're saying, I want to hear what you have to bring. There's a bridge here, and um, could I even go as far as to say, crafting the right question is just as important as following the step. Because general questions, they'll give you general answers, but, but specific crafted questions, they're, they're kind of like chat GPT, uh, GPT, GPT. Sorry, that's a tongue twister. Um, you get the value back from the question that you give. You get the value back from the question that you give. Could I say that the right question to, to another generation will give you a window and a very specific window into something that could really bring value into your life? You'll get so much out of conversation by just learning. Aristotle had uh, this quote that I think is really, really good. Simplified is this statement. He says, it is the mark of an educated mind to entertain a thought without accepting it. Could I tell you, I'm not telling you that you have to take in every thought and accept every thought that you hear. What I'm telling you is just to be able to sit in it, relish it, take in what would bring value to your life. I think this would be one of the greatest attempts to breaking the glass walls of overlooking. You could apply many of these principles to different groups, um, but essentially it's that. It's just bringing people together who have been divided. Guys, I believe that we have more in common than we have different. And I believe our ability to bring out the value in others will ultimately lead to understanding our own value. Could I tell you that the the value you have is worthiness. You have so much value. Yet not just because I see value in you, not just because Pastor Brad sees value in you, but because I believe Jesus values you so much. Why? Because he loves you so much. And I believe he wants a humanity that's actually united, that knows how to, how to love and value each other. Could we go out and do that this week? Maybe, maybe start with generational unity. 
But maybe go beyond that too. See value in every single person that we encounter. I think our world would look so different. And I believe we would actually have a better humanity in front of us because of it. And I believe that we would look more and more like Jesus because of it too. And I think that'd be kind of cool. And so would you pray with me? God, I just thank you because you, you desire unity. Because these are the things you want for humanity. And Lord, I ask that even in the midst of, of going out and trying to do these things, that you would just support us and help us in that. That you would remind us moments where we could bring unity instead of bringing division. And Lord, when we allow division into our lives, Lord, that you just put an alarm in our head that tells us what we're allowing. And that we could bring unity instead understanding and value to every person. And Lord, for the person in the room that's probably struggling with their own value, Lord, I just want to pray for them and pray value and worth over their life. We love you. In your name we pray, amen.